happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows. Oh, this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw today. Today is December the second, two thousand and eight. Now the KPFA Crafts Fair is coming up. Not this weekend, but the next. That's the weekend of the thirteenth and fourteenth. I will be there. Uh, I didn't make it last year, but this year I'm going to try to get there both days. It's from ten to six. I bring my books to sell and some tapes. See if I can make a few tapes this year.、Uh, I was thinking, what a nice idea it would be if we sent presents, some presents to the、uh, the girls in the White House. Yes, for the holidays. I made a list because I almost always. Make a list of children's books and talk about them at this time of the year, in hopes that people who、um, <laughs> still feel they can go shopping, <laughs> you know,、uh, might go out and buy some print for the children.、Uh, I was thinking, you know, how about?、Uh, let's see, for the girls,、uh, you think about what books, what little narratives would be right for Malia. And Sasha、uh, Obama. What should we send them、uh, on this, the occasion of this glorious, <laughs> this glorious holiday season?、Uh, I was thinking, yes, I was thinking. Well, something other than the Disney, Disney junk. I, I did hear Michelle Obama. Well, no, she didn't say it, but. I think it was her husband. He said she she loved the Brady Bunch. No, it was her brother, her older brother. He said she always watched the Brady Bunch. Anyway, I thought maybe I would send the girls a copy of Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. It's a long melancholy. It's a novella. It's a tale of tragedies filled with masochism, all that female anguish. It's a beautiful lyric story.、It、has nothing to do with the movie or the Disney book. I love the original.、Uh, <laughs> that dismal Disney stuff really gives me a headache. Anyway, what Hans Andersen wrote was a Christian fairy tale about a martyr, the Little Mermaid. She suffers all for love, sacrifices all for love.、Um, The loss of love is her fate. She's rewarded at the end by spirits of the air.、Uh, they tell her that she, as a pagan creature, can gain a human soul if she spends three hundred years 
floating around in the ether and doing good things for children who are unhappy. Uh, that will be her reward for her long suffering, a human soul. Wow, now that's new age. <laughs> I, I think that the false positivism of the new age is driving me crazy. I, I, I go for the Victorian stories, the grim, god awful stuff is totally politically incorrect these days. I read a funny letter, I think it was in the New Yorker, about the new parenting, about how parents were overdoing it. It was a story about a little girl who went out on Halloween. She had on a lion costume, and she stopped at a house, and she knocked on the door, and her parents were right behind her. And a woman came to the door and offered her um, a huge plate of different candies, and her mother stood there and said, Now, now, just take one. And the lady um, who was looking at her uh, in her costume said, Oh, she said, are you the cowardly lion? And her father stepped forward and said, Oh, no, tell her you are the brave lion. And the little girl's head popped out of the costume and she said, No, Dad, I'm the cowardly lion. My guess is that her father had not read The Wizard of Oz. Uh, <laughs> whenever I talk children's books... The first thing I get is notes and letters from the wonderful KPFA listeners who love that stuff. And they always point out what I missed. Because, of course, the list is so long. I used to just read, you know, um, Monroe Leaf's book, Ferdinand the Bull. <laughs> the one about the pacifist bull who wouldn't fight. But there are so many. Um, it's just... I think maybe next time I could read some of The Little Mermaid so you get the idea, but um, some people are willing to dip back into the 19th century uh, and read some of those books. Um, if nothing else, the illustrations alone are worth having. Uh, I guess we have moved on, and most of the new books are so relentlessly upbeat uh, and very short on language, yes. Uh, I wonder whether Malia and Sasha have had a chance to listen to the audio tape of their father's book, his autobiography. He wrote it when he was 33. It's called Dreams From My Father, not of my father, Dreams From My Father. Uh, Obama's parents uh, are gone now. They passed away. He had a few grandparents left. He lost uh, his grandmother just before, just before he won the election. Uh, most of his family group now is his in-laws, his mother's, his uh, wife's mother. Uh, now, I bought the audio tape at the Ashby Flea Market because uh, it's read by Barack. There are six CD discs. I recommend the sixth one if you only have time to listen to one. Uh, it's seven hours long. And he's a very good reader, a good actor. I liked especially the the bits where he reads in the voice of his relatives uh, in Kenya with their neo-colonial accents, you know, the sort of thing. He does a good job, uh, especially on, on the older women. Uh, it reminded me of a wonderful semester. I studied African literature way back in the 60s. 
so many uh, African writers in English. It's a whole new genre, of course. I read mostly Nigerian writers of South African, Chinua Achebe and Athol Fugard, all those guys. Uh, I guess that they understand that English will give them a larger audience. That's the way it goes. Uh, yes, go with the flow. The last disc in the collection, the sixth one that I mentioned, has the most material narrative about Barak's African heritage. Now, his grandmother, that is his father's mother, does not speak English. She, yes, she apparently watched the the convention from her village and uh, everyone in the village came out to see Barack become the next president of the United States. Uh, anyway, I love the storylines all about his siblings in Kenya. And now this stuff will be a source for study during his administration. I think it's thrilling, truly thrilling to know that so much multicultural, international uh, information is going to make its way into our mainstream narrative, what they call the master narrative, the big story. Uh, Jennifer? It's one world with a thousand voices. Veronica thinks I should talk about something, huh? Well, well, actually, this is since you're talking about this, how much information, cultural information, is going to get into the mainstream, I was just thinking about uh, something you just said about his in-laws being his relatives now. Right. Well, I think we're going to get a lot of instruction about African-American culture, and I feel that it's really my responsibility to let you know that uh, when you get married, your relatives, your in-laws are your relatives, period. There's no, um, you know, hyphenation marks around it. That's about African-American culture. As a matter of fact, I spent Thanksgiving with my daughter's ex-mother-in-law, and her ex sister in law because they're relatives. Yeah, once yeah, once they're relatives, they're relatives forever. Yes. And so uh, I'm really excited about Obama being in the White House because I think a lot will be revealed. Uh, there's a lot about African American culture that has been just a mystery to mainstream America. I look forward to his um uh well, Michelle's mother, Marion Robinson, she's about my age, and she, as as Obama himself pointed out in that interview, you know, she's raised in sh- Southside Chicago in the 50s, and uh, I think, you know, some of us can relate more closely to her. Um, the truth is that Barack and his wife are so young and so, what I would call such super people, such wunderkinds, you know, yes. that the past for them is mostly, well, not all poetry, you know, but uh, the thing is, if if you get a chance to buy his book for a Christmas gift, uh, I think even if you listen to the audio tapes, it's a good idea to read the book to get what Veronica's been saying, you know, about the inclusiveness of this world culture, these thousands of voices, and this this family structure that is older. There's, you know, some white folks used to live that way, but, you know, mostly now the modern culture, especially when you get around to mothers, you know, uh, ever since um, Sigmund Freud, yes, God bless Siggy, uh, 
Sigmund Freud came down on Mama, and ever since we've had a lot of trouble with the mothering. Uh, what I think, yeah, I think we can get what cultures, you know, what do we call that? Creole cultures all over the place. We're gonna, we're gonna get this information. Well, people are already getting adjusted to the fact that the mother, uh-huh. uh, Michelle's mother, is going to live in the White House, which makes perfect sense to mm-hmm. me. I don't know why it's such a big deal. Yes, I have a um, small black friend. He's eight, and he was delighted with that. He got, I gave him this button of the whole family. You know, he said, going to wear it to school. And uh, I think, you know, I, I didn't think he'd pay any attention, but he was impressed. You know, Jennifer, you really said a small black friend? Yes. <laughs> Did I say a small black friend? You did. <laughs> I didn't know you were talking about Mickey Mouse. Or <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, you see? You see how awful we all are? The minute we open our mouths, something dreadful comes out. No, my friend James would describe himself as a, what was it? Whoopi Goldberg said, I'm a little black woman in a big uh, telephone booth. You remember that movie? Oh, yes. She said, I- look for a little black woman in a telephone uh, telephone." Oh, what was it? They don't have them anymore now that we all have cell phones. Telephone booths. Yeah, telephone booths. Okay, now you mentioned something about age. Your age? Yeah, my age. I'm going to be 75 on Friday. That's a biggie, isn't it? Oh, God. You know, if anybody's out there and they want to call in and wish Jennifer oh. a happy birthday, feel free, okay? We're yes, gonna, well, okay. We yeah. got, you got ten minutes to call yes. in if you want to. Some Eurocentric folks might call in and straighten, straighten me out. You never can tell. I, I just figure that we're going to have so much mixed ethnic and linguistic traditions that we might just get into the 21st century, folks, you know. I've noticed it already. The way um, Obama talks, it was, you know, he uses sensible words like uh, pragmatic, he said today, you know. And I kept thinking, well, nobody's going to know what he's talking about because he's too bright for them. And then I thought, well, you know, let him look it up. Uh, You know, uh, anyway, uh, today I had a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about, about uh, Tom and Sally. they're the ones, the original uh, parents of the nation, you know. Toni Morrison is always explaining in her essays, uh, that's his one essay called Playing in the Dark, that biological race, um, we finally understood it doesn't exist, you know. They they finally got these new new genetic tests and DNA and everything, and it seems that everybody's everybody, but that doesn't mean that color is uh, not an issue. We all know, uh, most people I know remember W.E.B. Du Bois and how in 1902 he said, 1902 it was, he wrote, that the problem of the 20th century, he said, would be the problem of the color line. You know, uh, okay, Jennifer, Natasha's on the line for you. Natasha, Natasha, what's up, Natasha? I'm not hearing Natasha, darling. Do I not have her on the... F- the? Oh, sorry. I could pick up the phone, couldn't I? <laughs> Hello? I'm not getting Natasha. I have no idea how to do this. Jennifer, it's... J- no, I'm not getting anything. I'm getting a busy signal. 
I'm not getting the phone, folks. I'm not getting the phone. There he is. He's on now. Yes, but I'm not. Oh, is he on the phone? Hello? No, I'm not getting him. There's no no lights going on on my little machine in here, dear. That was so sweet of you to have somebody phone in, but I can't get the telephone to work. Okay, a failure of technology. Failure of technology, folks. It's just the same old, same old anyway. uh, I hope you guys come to the KPFA Holiday Crafts Fair and we can talk there. Uh, Yes, I'm jabbering here about the color line being barbed wire and razor wire and how tough it is and... How long it's going to take us, you know, to really, really, really get past it. Because we're never going to get past it, you know. As I say, my favorite, favorite, favorite story is Tom Jefferson and Sally Hemings. There's a new book out now about Sally Hemings. It's by this wonderful woman writer, uh, Annette Gordon-Reed. She's a lawyer. She's... A uh, black scholar, she teaches at CUNY, I think, back in New York. And she's been on the television lately. Her book about Thomas Jefferson was published about eight years ago. That was before the DNA results were in, and they had positive proof that Sally Hemings' children were descendants of Thomas Jefferson. And uh, it was called Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, um, an American Controversy, and it came from the uh, University of Virginia Press. That's the biggie, the one to start with. And it's fascinating. It's more about history and the way, what is it, history is written by the winners. And guess what? We got some new winners. I recommend to you a piece in the December the 1st New Yorker called Family Matters. Personal History by Henry Louis Gates, Jr. When Science Clashes with Ancestral Lore. Now, Gates was born 1951. And this is a fascinating article because what turned out to be, um, what is that, uh, the truth, let's see, he looks, I'm looking here to see. Yes, his great-great-grandmother, Jane Gates, was believed to be, um, let's see, the, I guess, lover of a gentleman called Brady, Samuel Brady, an Irishman. And uh, Henry Gates thought that he was descended from Samuel Brady. Well, it turns out the DNA evidence says he wasn't. He still doesn't know uh, what his heritage is, but it's fascinating stuff, uh Let's see, Cumberland, Maryland, the Gates family home, two-family house. Okay, yes, there's a picture here of his great-great-grandmother Jane Gates, a formidable woman. He says the local paper called her an estimable colored woman. How's that for a phrase? Quote, it's in the local paper. What does that mean exactly? God only knows. He says that Daddy retrieved a framed photograph of this woman, yes, okay. So that woman was Pop's grandmother. Pop is the grandfather of Henry Gates. She's your great-great-grandmother. She is the oldest Gates. Anyway, it is very interesting. Let's see. Death of Aunt Jane Gates. She's described in the paper uh, in January 7th, 1888 in the Cumberland Evening Times. 
She's a family servant of the Stovers, and she died in the 75th year of her age. That's why I marked it, because this woman is exactly my age, or she was when she died in 1888. She has lived for a long time on Green Street, where her death occurred. And they go on to give the dis, the details of your interment and the services and so forth and so on. Uh, anyway, this article is fascinating, particularly the pictures of Henry Gates' parents, Edward Gates, his grandfather. Let's see. Uh, actually, Henry Gates is such a funny guy. Uh, he did a wonderful series. He took his two daughters, two young teenage daughters, on a big trip through Africa. And uh, they were what I would call <laughs> very American. <laughs> they wanted a pool everywhere they went. Anyway, uh, he finishes the article saying, African-American history is a young discipline. He says, restoring the branches of even one black family tree can profoundly change our understanding of the larger story of who the African-American people really are. Oh, well, come on. Come on, Henry. He says, by telling and retelling the stories of our ancestors, we can move that history from our kitchens and parlors into the textbooks, ultimately changing the official narrative of American history itself. There you go. History is being rewritten, folks. It's about time. I got a great button with Obama's face on it. It looks like it's the cover of Time magazine. And it says, uh, it's about time. <laughs> Someone called in asking what's going to happen to all the people who aren't quote-unquote mixed. Aren't mixed. I don't know. It says here, he says, uh, Henry says that he's... Uh, 50% European in one of, he took one of those tests that reveals your genetic admixture. You see, I, I guess there must be somebody who isn't a mixed race person. I am a mixed race person, but I think that, what is it? I think that it's what I said before. The color line is what most people deal with. When I was a school teacher, I taught, um, almost entirely African American students and they range from what, oh, Barack calls it, uh, oh, pecan color. How do you like that? Every shade, every shade of color was in my classroom. But uh, the students told me, they said, no, 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 uh, you know, if you have any African-American heritage, you're black. I said, well, in Virginia, I think that's the way they do in Virginia, but, you know, surely there's more to it than that. And... I don't know, you know, it's all about the law. It was all about, you know, the, the business of owning somebody. Well, you should go to New Orleans, then you can really get confused. Yes. Well, what, uh, you know, what do we, what was it, Monticello, even when Jefferson was alive, the local newspapers and some of the papers that were attacking Jefferson when he was running for president, they asked all kind of questions about what they called white slaves. These were mixed-race uh, children, many of them the children of Thomas Jefferson. You know, they said there was a young man waiting at table that looked exactly like Thomas Jefferson, who uh -oh. was a red-headed Irishman, you know. Yeah. So there we go. You know, I mean, the, the truth is, 
I'm just amazed at the number of people who are shocked by this stuff. Well, that's why we have traditional black colleges, right? Because that was the place for those kids to go to school. Yeah, Howard is mentioned a lot of times by Henry Gates. I I don't know, the, the stuff, you know, it is so complicated because as Obama says in his book that he reads for us on those discs, he said, you know, uh, there are thousands of stories. There are as many stories as individuals, you know. I, I think the trouble is, it's like, it's what my mother used to call the movie mind. Everybody has seen one or two movies and read one or two books. And if I say that Thomas Jefferson spent 35 years in a a relationship with um, a woman who he couldn't marry legally in Virginia. It was against the law, and he had promised his first wife when she died. He he became a widower, and he had promised her on her deathbed that he would not remarry and set another woman over the children. Now, Sally Hemmings could have been in the room at the time. She would have been about 10 years old. She was 30 years younger than Jefferson. She could have heard the first wife ask him not to remarry. Anyway, I guess if they'd stayed in France, they might have married. But there's no question but what, uh, you know, that was an 18th century relationship, you know. Uh, as far as I know, she had six children. There's one child that is disputed. The first child she had died. And they're still arguing over uh, that one. But it appears... All the evidence points to what I guess we still call a monogamous relationship, an exclusive relationship between these two individuals. Uh, Thomas Jefferson died in 1826, and then uh, she had to leave Virginia because she was free, and you couldn't be free in Virginia. You had to leave the state. How's that for funny? Anyway, she moved with her two younger sons who had been freed by Jefferson. Uh, he only freed Sally's children. He never freed the others. He he died uh, uh, in terrible debt, and his uh, daughter sold everybody. So, you know, I'm not saying Thomas Jefferson was a good guy, no question. Uh, but as we all know, folks, uh, our whole country uh, is in a state of denial. It's called the great lie, the social lie. Uh it enabled men to own other men. You know, if you could prove that someone had black heritage, you could sell them. You know, this is a property crime. Yes, it's true. Right. And not only that, um, the idea of privilege, which is not too far removed from that whole concept, um, is what keeps people feeling empowered. Sure. And the empowerment is at the expense of people who are essentially still being enslaved right. in many ways. Yeah, you could, well, they could sell their own children, but chattel slavery was just too crude, even for, even for us, you know. Right, we finessed it a little bit. It's yeah, right. institutionalized yeah. slavery now. Yeah. Now, yeah, now it's wage slave, whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, but, you know, being able to deny your blood kin is a pretty, pretty strange psychological arrangement if you think about it. You know, yeah. uh, they what they lost was patrimony, their inheritance, their land that should have been theirs. Yeah. You know, because Jefferson gave them a little. He gave his daughter Harriet 50 bucks and I think a horse. And she took off and joined the so-called white world. But anyway, I have more about the... <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna finish up here with our white Christmas. Yes, just like the ones I used to know. Jennifer, you had at least seven calls. People wishing you oh. happy birthday. They thank love you. you. They love your mind. The world's a better place with you in it. Oh, I just thank want you, you to know. 
Thank you, dear. I hope to see some of you at Christmas and just try to imagine what kind of Christmases they're going to have in the White House from now on. It Next, probably won't be a white one. Let's let's see what they have. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at eight twenty. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Hey, Gary Niederhoff, this stuff is crazy. What is it? Some jazz fusion? No, Ricky Vincent, this is Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa? You mean the crazy rocker and anti-censorship activist from the 80s? That's him, but there's a whole lot more to him than that. Well, maybe we need to have a Frank Zappa jam session on the history of funk. Now that sounds good to me. Friday night, December 5th at 10 p.m., the Frank Zappa Jam Session on the History of Funk. On 94.1 KPFA. From Pacifica Station, KPFK in Los Angeles, this is Free Speech Radio News for Tuesday, the 2nd of December, 2008. The Supreme Court prepares to rule on whether power plants can favor financial impacts over environmental concerns. We'll hear how state capitals are bracing for decreased revenues during the financial crisis. And the Taliban says it's been selling